I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. And in this episode of the podcast, I'm talking with Ewan McCone and Simone Liamon from the curatorial team of Contemporary Design and Architecture at the National Gallery of Victoria. Simone, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Excellent. So I want to start out with a really um, broad general question about the role of design and what you think that is in society and how you see that changing, if at all, in the near to long-term future. Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Simone, why don't you start? <laughs> Can I start? <laughs> okay. Well... If we look around us, uh, we look at everything that um, individuals, groups, societies, communities have delivered to the world, we can see it as a result of design. I think design is one of the tools or one of the strategies that we have to shape the world. And uh, I guess we're at a time where we're reflecting upon you know thousands of years of human activity and I guess certainly think since industrialization how that has influenced and given shape to the things that we've designed and we're starting to ask ourselves you know what is this world what is the world that we've created um so I I really think that you know the role for design at this point in time if we harness it and we um, use it as a point of critical reflection, but also thinking about how we want to move forward and what type of world we want to live in, Um, we have all the potential in the world to, um, you know, address uh, and reconceive and move forward in ways that brings greater unity, equality, Um, distributes greater value and benefits for people in the planet but on prior occasions. So for me, I think design is really an agency through which we can strategically deliver and create the world that we want to live in. Ewan. That's a pretty great answer. (laughs) Do you want to add anything to that, Ewan? Of course. Um, Well, look, I think it depends. I suppose if we think at picking up on what Simone said, um, how do we come to be where we are today? And, and what is the role? So if you're talking about the role of design, how has, what role has design played to bring us to where we are now? So that's the first part of this question for me because that by reflecting on that, we can think about where it's going to next. Um, and I, I sort of see very clearly that design, I mean, design has been coupled to industry very closely. So I think that we need to really be careful about um, confusing what we might think the potential of design is with what it actually has been um, responsible for up till now. So, and, and just to break that, that down a little bit, I mean, fundamentally design has, is a service to industry. Design has been used um, in more and more increasingly sophisticated ways to sell things and, of course, to bring about efficiencies in production 
and to bring about functional benefits, etc. But I think on the whole, I would say that um, from a probably from the negative side, I would say that design has unfortunately ended up being a service to um, a globalized um, industry network, which is supported by complicated supply chains, um, which are reliant on extractive industries, extraction of materials. You know, there's a lot of complexity and there's a lot of ethical conundrums that are wrapped up in the in the products and places that wrap around us as a, as societies. Um, and so I think um, I think design needs to come to terms with that role. So understanding that designers are actually complicit and responsible within these systems. Um, and I think there's a sort of general narrative which is sort of perpetrated, um, and I have perpetrated this narrative as well, which is like design is sort of inherently good and that design adds value. So there's, we get this all the time in the business community and stuff. Um, design could possibly be adding value to someone, something, but the question is, do we need that thing in the first place? Um, so there's a lot of these questions that need to be asked. And then I say, if we look at the role going forward, so um, probably the role of design going forward if we just continue doing what we've always done is to just keep making more and more stuff, some of which we might need, but most of which we probably don't. But it supports a commercial ecosystem, which is the only system we currently have. So one possible role of design and the role that I'm more excited about is, is proposing alternative futures, alternative economic models, alternative models of production, alternative models of extraction. So we think about the whole material supply chain, end of life of products. Um, and if we think about the needs of different communities beyond, you know, different develop, in developing countries, where do populations need the most enhancement within life, whether that's health or education or access to clean water and food. Um, designers really need to focus their attention on on where they have the most potential impact and not, um, and, and therefore we need to sort of reimagine the business model. And the idea that design is a service to industry is fine, but we would need to question, well, what kind of industries will, will positively shape the future? Mm. And I think to add to that, I mean, it's, it's, it's near impossible today to be a designer to any great effect unless you are collaborating with all parts of society. So in order to recon reconceive business models, supply chains, um, materials that we use, I think now more than ever there is an awareness that designers need to work with and collaborate with scientists, um, you know, um, entrepreneurs who have the capacity to understand the granule um, uh, sort of the machinations, if you like, of, of how um, business is conducted and how global economics and trade is constructed. So it is, I think, you know, the 20th century sort of delivered to us a story about, you know, the great star designers and how designers were autonomous, creative solution solvers. 
And I think we're at a point now where we understand that that model represents the past. And we have designers now that are um, leading through more of a, um, a moral compass, but also moving into other areas, other domains, whether it be the social sciences. Um, in our instance, we work with many designers whose work ends up here in, in the cultural space, but all of these designers are um, working in a more collaborative or a more consultative manner than we've seen before. And that's really, I think, the future for design. Mm. So given both of your answers and also your roles here at the National Gallery of Victoria in the curatorial team, I'd love to ask you why are museums or institutions collecting design and secondly, how do you see those collections sitting alongside in an institution like this, alongside art or fine art, sculpture and photography? How do you explain that to someone outside of the industry that may not necessarily understand why a piece of design is sitting metaphorically on a pedestal <laughs> inside a museum such as the NGV? Well, I might, well it's interesting. I mean, look, I come, I come to the NGV from... You know, I'm, I, I didn't train as a curator, so I don't come to the NGV with a sense of this um, uh, framework, which, which if we look at the framework of how things are collected, I think it's very interesting. So this sense of um, that there are key movements or key um, trajectories which we then chronologically record through the collection of objects so let's say why is something on a pedestal why if you have a room full of chairs why why are those chairs there in theory those chairs are there to say at a certain points in time people started making different decisions um and i think um in a lot of uh traditional collections that we see around the world um you know you're looking at stylistic movements you're looking at, at shifts in in you know, for example, the emergence of the office environment can suddenly be, be a marker within things. So if you know how to interpret an object as a cur curator, you're sort of every object. I mean, someone and I are very clear about the idea that everything we collect needs to be able to tell a story and do work. But what are those stories? And I think we see it slightly differently than some other institutions. So we're less interested in the kind of chronology of stylistic or evolution, because basically, if you have a room full of chairs, that there is an, an iterative stylistic evolution, which which is about the personal expression of the designer, and that that's sort of in a way how art evolves, to some extent. It's also about that idea of individual authorship. Um, for me, I'm more interested in that every object should tell a story of the economic landscape in which it's created, the cultural landscape in which it's created, but also the politics of the time. So, I mean, it, and Simone can talk about this, like in terms of we were looking at how we might represent female designers in the collection or what have you. But um, so our collection is about um, understanding technological evolution and why and not, and not just for the sake of of saying oh now we can we went from this to the, this like we now we have injection molding and now we have the, you know those things are actually an indicator of a certain mindset within industry 
So if you take, for example, just a random thing like Jasper Morrison's air chair, which we have in the collection, a chair that can be made in, I think it was five, five seconds. So five seconds, very lightweight, not a lot of material, but and, and very low cost. So that's, that's an interesting thing in its own right um, and, and because it sort of talks about this, this theor- theoretical agenda to try and make good design available to as many people as possible. Um, so there are those things that are embedded wi- within objects um, or, or, a, or an inquiry into um, uh, new kinds of materiality. Um, so we, we're probably less interested in this idea of following the careers of seminal designers, as we, uh, which some institutions, that's how they would do it, um, and more interested in the idea that... Um, the right piece at the right moment allows us to tell this ongoing story of how, and not even how, personally, it's not about how the design industry is changing. It's actually about how these objects reflect how the world is changing. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, following on from that, I mean, I I didn't train as a curator either, but I did train first in the visual arts and then uh, in industrial design. So I guess, um, you know, like Ewan, um, you know, see sort of design as an opportunity to open up conversations around um, practices, processes, how we think, how at any one given time that work is the result of um, values, um, attitudes, behaviour. And if we think of, you know, the museum or the the gallery where you would conventionally, you know, sort of expect to see art, you know, um, I think the important thing to understand is that design is also a part of our cultural life. And perhaps design has not been present in grand institutions like the NGV, um, previously because to situate design in a discourse around cultural production uh, requires some effort and requires some framing and we're really fortunate and what I think really what distinguishes the the um, the opportunities and the activities that you and myself can conduct is that we're looking at contemporary design and practice so really design in our lifetime, design that's been produced at the moment, you know, from the past four decades, but very much into the future. And so that means it's not incumbent upon us then to look at a lot of design by people that have passed on, <laughs> where there's a global effort to, um, I guess, analyse and recast it in view of different ideas or issues to bring it to some significance or prominence. We're in the game of speculation where we are trying to follow and look at work that's being produced at the moment to get a grasp of not only what its um, sort of heritage is but where it's, it's taking us. And I guess we're really sort of interested in looking at those moments of disruption where new ideas and um, new processes, new sort of um, 
shifting motivations present themselves and we can see that as a marker of, of the time. And, um, and sometimes those works might have great um, uh, sort of legacy into the future or they might just record a moment in time. But I really do believe that um, to encourage audiences that come into the museum or the gallery to, for them to have a conversation around design, much like they would about art, but understand that what they're looking at also exists out there in the world. So I think the challenge is that a lot of design isn't made for the gallery. It's not made for the museum. It's deployed and put to work in the world. So we have to think very carefully about the design when we bring it into the gallery. A lot of um, you know practices now commit themselves to producing work specifically for the gallery. Um, but a lot of designers don't. And so what we have to do is... Um, uh, is work across both, um, I guess, sort of different praxis, if you like, and really capture and think about how we present um, the conversations around design presently in ways that doesn't efface, you know, design that, that is being put to work, but at the same time doesn't recast one-off limited production or experimental design as art. So we always have to lead with a conversation around what ultimately is design in our time. Mm. I'm going to come back to that, uh, the public discourse uh, aspect in a moment, but uh, in the meantime, I wanted to ask you both what you, you think the role of curatorship and museums or cultural institutions play in the design industry, or if, if it plays a role at all? Mm. Well, this is something we think a lot about. Again, it's worth looking at the what has the role been, because I think there is a changing role, perhaps. Um, and I should, go, going back to the conversation we were just having, so we have an amazing collection of decorative arts going back through time and through the great movements of decorative arts um, and design, uh, 20th century, 19th, you know, right back. It's an amazing collection. So we've always collected design. It's just that whether it was called design at that time or not. Um, and I, it's just worth pointing out that for me, even when I look back, like I worked on a, an exhibition with Soil, the practice in New York, uh, where they recontextualized some of our porcelain collection, so uh, Chinese and, and early European porcelain. And that was that is a story of amazing innovation. It's an amazing that that material was was like um, alchemy when it was developed, and it's a story of conspiracy and politics. Um, you know the the recipe being stolen from China and 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 sent to laboratories in Europe that were set up by kings to try and steal the recipe. You know this. So so the the reality is we can have these conversations with many objects, and we're doing that at the moment with looking at things in our collection that might relate to periods of slavery or 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 um, colonization. So there's there's definitely a role. Of looking backwards through the collection too it's not just forwards um but there i think there are a lot of collections around the world a lot of people working as curators i mean for me it's very a very simple description some people are reflective curators where they look backwards even backwards at yesterday at what the industry is producing and then they collect that 
And in a way, they're doing this, I see it as kind of the iterative evolution of different trajectories. Um, we like to see ourselves as being generative. So we, we, while we are looking at what's just happened, um, increasingly more and more of our time is spent on what might happen next and being, ha having agency in shaping that with designers. Um, and I think realistically, why that is important is that if you just collect what it's, so if the dominant paradigm of design is as a service to industry, those industry frameworks were set up in the 19th and 20th century. Many of them have huge um, problems about, you know, the, which we've discussed, but whether that's labor or ecology or um, other things. So if you just, I, I worry that collecting like that actually um, uh, validates that, that f those frameworks. It actually is saying that we think this is okay. So if, and, and that, and that you're not challenging that enough. So if we know that climate change, for example, is the framing sort of context which we will operate in for the next 50 years, I don't understand how you can separate that from anything that comes into the world. So as a curator, your job is to think deeply about what things mean. And I, I don't think it's enough to just think about what it means to the designer or the company that made it or Maybe is it recyclable? Some people might look at the, these things, but you've got to go much deeper. Um, and so I would, I would argue that some of the most respected collections in the world of of what we call, you know, contemporary design, are actually um, really, in a way, a marketing tool for an industry that needs to radically change. And we're trying to not perpetrate the same mythology so we 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 do collect things from industry we do we're very careful about what they are and and sometimes they are f actually looking at you know an issue um but increasingly we apply the resources of the institution to commission new work um to host conversations um and to uh, we work with partners on research projects like actually material research um, I would say that there are some curators and some institutions around the world that understand that that we that the stakes are so high. We all actually need to be involved proactively in trying to fix problems, and not it's not and not just sort of recording passively, which is or you know intellectually engaged maybe, but but are we just simply recording what's happening? Um, uh, like sort of taking notes as the ship sinks, you know, taking photographs. Mm -hmm. I guess what I might add to that is, um, you know, for years and years and years, uh, you know, prior to occupying this, you know, this role, I would come to the gallery and um, look for evidence of work or output from members of my community. Or peers and um, and of course it wasn't present but I'd walk into MoMA or Vitra and I would see well we've talked about chairs so let's say a chair by somebody from Melbourne <laughs> and I would be so excited and I thought well why is it this item being validated here and collected here 
Um, and of course there are other institutions in Australia that were collecting but through perhaps a you know um, a, a social lens or through um, some other you know a criteria that was um, sort of reflecting upon the work because it may have won an award somewhere or it may have sold a million you know units um, but I think uh, building a collection provides a really remarkable opportunity to um, to sort of collect and and create a um, an assemble you know works that the state becomes the custodian of and for the future's past people can view experience um, form a dialogue with to better understand the place that uh, where we are in the world and I you know I think a lot of the um, design that's been produced here certainly in Melbourne over the last four to five decades is distinguishable for many reasons and um, and we have been able to collect some work retrospectively to um, you know pull together um, a, just a slice just a view of, of what um, you know, designers and, and in this case industry manufacturers have produced over the last decades. But I think that's really important for um, designers and people who, you know, are really excited about, you know, design's contribution to our cultural space to see that reflected in, you know, um, in places like the NGV. Uh, because it sort of also allows us to expand the conversation around creativity. And I think sometimes when you talk to people about design creativity, they might scratch their head a little more so when you talk about creativity in, in view of, I think, um, you know, art forms that we don't sort of question in, in view of their artistic sort of imperatives or, or um, how creativity is applied. Um, so in, in that sense, I think building a collection um, is important in a sense that, um, you know, it, it allows us to constantly refer to it and, I mean, we're learning things from the works that we've acquired in the last five years all the time. You know, um, you don't know everything about the item or the work when it comes into the collection. Um, you know, you learn more and more about it and allows us to build stories um, through collection displays and exhibitions that we do. The fact that you can place or cite uh, a work of design alongside a sculpture or a painting produced in the same period um, can open up a conversation that is really, really rich and people can see quite clearly how ideas do pervade, you know, all facets of life. Ideas don't just end up on a, in a painting on a wall. Um, you know, ideas are also sort of deployed in things that make you do, feel and behave in ways. And, and that's, and I think that's what's really um, why building a design collection is co captivating because people can literally then, you know, return to their daily life and wonder, well, you know, how 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 do I um, occupy my living space? 
you know, or, um, you know, what are the things that in my that in my field that have been designed that are making me do things in ways that I would prefer to do, you know, in other. So it's um, it's just about building a greater dialogue and ability to critically examine, um, yeah, our world. Mm. I'm going to turn the conversation now to Melbourne Design Week because this episode will be published on the very first day um, of a design week that perhaps might be alone in some sense of, <laughs> of, of international events of its size and stature across the world. I, I wanted to ask you about its role and its relevance and perhaps how much Melbourne Design Week may have changed over the years since it first began and how it differs from other design weeks internationally. Mm. Well, look, it actually has existed. So, like, uh, so now the NGV it produces Melbourne Design Week. So that's um, the, the the a design week in some format or another has existed in Melbourne since the early two thousands. Um, pretty much from the outset, funded by government as an initiative to stimulate sort of the creative industries, but also to. Um, to try and encourage industry more broadly to sort of adopt design. So it probably at that early stage, and I worked actually on as the creative director of, of the design festival years ago, I think what's changed in that, so that's probably worth touching on very quickly, is that was very much the kind of um, design is inherently good. Um, any, any product that uses more design will sell better. Um, let's get famous designer X to come out and tell us how great they are at, in an auditorium from Europe generally. Um, and that was the model that we had and we had, it was, it was a very successful model and it worked well. And hence it's still, and it's evolved, it evolves and, and mutates with different governments and their priorities. One of the challenges that I always saw was reaching a broad public audience. Um, and so that's probably when we go now to where we are today, is that when we opened the Department of Contemporary Design and Architecture at the NGV, we suddenly had the, it's Australia's largest cultural institution. It's got a vast public audience. And, and, and also over the last sort of uh, six or seven, eight years, that audience has expanded really rapidly and changed demographically. Very young audience, very engaged, um, you know, over three and a half million visitors a year kind of scenario. So when we, when the government put out a call for some organisation to bid to run Design Week and we bid, um, what we were offering was to to do all that, that anybody else might do in curating a program, but to connect that to that huge public audience, which was very important for us. Um, and other things that we didn't do. So the unique attributes of Design Week, which we can compare if you want to some of the other ones around the world is it's free to participate. It's not a commercial event backed by someone behind the scenes who's using it to make money, which is important. Um, it's, um, it's always thematically curated. So anybody who wants to participate can, but they have to apply um, to be in the official program and they respond to a theme. The theme for 2021 is design the world that you want. Um, 
And also what we've learned over the years, so we've done, this is our fifth year coming in in this f model, is that we've learned very quickly to frame the program around issues and topics that are actually of interest to the public. So it's not this kind of, you know, um, thing that we see again and again of just like design is great, um, use more design. It's sort of like, well, why? Because there is a, f it's it's um it's actually a massive problem globally because, and I see it more so. I must say, I see it more so in Asia. This sort of sense of just, uh, you know, just adding a bit of design for some for some reason. So, and it's usually about selling something. Um, and that's just because of the evolution of those economies. That's all. Mm. So it's a timeline, but we um. We don't, it's not like it's anti-commercial at all because we're very happy for people to make and sell things. It's just that understanding that what is actually going on also is that's just a segment of the design industry. And if there is growth, potential for growth in design as a sector, whether it's in Australia or globally, it is in health, education, it's in environment, it's in the new technologies that we need to, to, to move forward in a sustainable way. It's, it's in biomateriality, you know, if we think of where we need to get to as a society or societies, then all of the, you know, all of the challenges that we see ahead of us, whether that's the safety, the safety of our cities for people or equality of access to, to services offered by governments, then all of these things are actually mediated or could be mediated through some use of design. And that's what we are, are very committed to. Um, and also that um, there is a, a, equally an, a, an interest in studio practice, in, ma in making. Like I, I, we're clearly interested in the big, scalable, complex ideas and the idea that one or two or three people could have a little studio and make something in a meaningful way and make a living. And, and have a good life. And that's, that's also fantastic. In fact, if we had more of that as an ecosystem and we're interested in localism, so we don't, things we don't do, we're not flying people from all over the world to tell us why, why they're good. We're interested in celebrating what we do well in Victoria. Um, and if we do bring people in, they are, we're looking at people who can share stories, can amplify our stories, um, and we're probably, you know, very, it, it's really, it's, and more people we really can learn from that are, you know, um, doing those things really well. Um, yeah, so it's got its own DNA. And I mean, we, we're, we're realistic. I, th I think that's one of the issues with, you know, if we look at Milan or we look at London or wherever there are design week programs that are big, they're, they're, um, their weak point is they're tied so tightly to commerciality that as we have seen in the last year, um, you sort of get a little bit of a sense, which, I mean, there is a little bit of a sense of what is their role. A, little, a few people are going, do we really need these things anymore? I mean, I, we love going to Milan and we love the energy and the networking, and, but it's actually the people that mm. you love, not the, mm. I, I get overwhelmed yeah. with mm. the yeah. products. Mm. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I was, we were speaking to somebody recently about what makes a great design culture. And I think it would be very easy for many people to go, oh, you know, Milan's got a great design culture. 
New York's got a great design culture, London's got a great design culture. But if we really think about, well, okay, why is this perception? It's because they have these big design events, often, as you had mentioned, anchored to a big trade fair. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I've been many, many times and and th- there's a lot about them which, you know, is um, exciting. But um, these this is design culture built around consumption and what I see is a lot of propaganda, you know, as Ewan said, anything designed is good. Well, we know that anything that's designed is, is not necessarily good. And the revelation that, that we've had about um, Melbourne and, and for years we've saying Melbourne is the design capital of Australia, but I think we've got to a point where we understand why because it is a design culture which is built or founded on um, a design activity which is linked to practice, research, education, um, the contributions of many designers who are self-styled starters and entrepreneurs. So their activity and their output exists in really in spite of industry often. Um, and so hence the enormous designer maker community that we have here. Um, and it is, yeah, it, I, I think a progressive design culture, if a city can lay claim to one, they have to be able to back it up with, um, with uh, a community that contributes uh, in ways which is beyond of what just ends up in the store. So it's about um, uh, really um, all that activity trying to transform um, our space with a, through um, uh, what design can do because we know that, you know, de- uh, design delivers systems, services and products and spaces and, you know, a, a, a whole sort of um, typology. We also um, found, um, interestingly, twenty. I mean, we opened Design Week 2020 I, I think it was <laughs> I think briefly. we had an event here in the garden at the NGV in the beautiful garden we had an event of five, 500 people gathering and that was and everybody was it was like 16th of March it was 800 800 people and there was this general thing of what is going on because mm. we knew it was all just emerging corona, coronavirus was emerging China Italy suddenly Milan etc and we we um you know, like effectively the museum closed a few days after that. We closed um, for safety measures. Um, but what, what what we were really enlightened by was that despite that, we had one international guest who who um, is the founder of Fairphone, the mobile phone company, who was coming to talk about basically circular economy. That was, you know, he was here and had to just sort of shoot, shoot home. But... But really, the rest of the program was insulated because it was all about, it was all local. And it was sort of, I, I don't think we'd really noticed it to that extent. But the, the, the um, I do think that there is a, an emerging thing we see in other design weeks around the world, which is much more tied to that kind of spirit of what, what do we do here and how do we use this to improve us, our communities right, right here? Um, and getting away from this idea of um, them being a, 
either a platform for just selling more taps and toilets and chairs and lights or 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 this idea that it's about this design thinking you know for the big corporate environment which is i mean it's moving along nicely etc um so it's how how really can a design week for us is how can it be create an ecosystem of opportunity in our city how can it connect people together give you a sense of shared purpose but also a sense i think what's emerging and and is noted globally and we know that a lot of the people we do speak to when we ask them to come and um, they say they will participate because actually a lot of the time we're asking people who are fairly rigorous about what they do and don't do mm-hmm. um that w- there is a moral position for melbourne design week which is very um clear and um you know, I think that's. I don't, I'm not saying everybody needs to do that, but it, <laughs> but it's it's also. I mean, in the in the spirit of what just happened in the last twelve months, I'd say, personally, I was surprised, and slightly shocked by how apparent it became so quickly that the design sector, other than designing open source COVID stuff and what have you, the design sector actually had very little to contribute. In, you know, like the way it was set up, there was it was, it sort of became a little bit obvious that the bulk of the design industry was on pause because because really we weren't shopping. So, and that made me it sort of became you know you need to really read what happens in these times. Is the dominant conversations seemed a bit a bit off tone. And so they sort of petered out and then we sort of had this space where it was a little bit of self-reflection, I think, on, well, what is our role if, if you know, and of course we need industry, of course we need jobs and opportunity, and, um, but that it, it sort of, it, it just revealed a big gap, basically. Mm. I'm really glad that you mentioned community because I want to now touch on uh, what the three pillars are uh, of Melbourne Design Week this year because I believe community is one of them. I'd love to hear a little bit about why you decided on those three pillars and perhaps how they're helping to change and shape how design is being thought about and talked about, how it's being produced and exhibited here in Australia but maybe also internationally. Sure. Well, the three pillars are care, community, and climate. So, and the pillars exist because we found um, when we began to introduce these small sort of structured ways of clustering the program, it suddenly was much more clear for the media and much more clear for the public. So, so they are there actually as a as a way of helping um, a possibly a less design engaged audience to understand what what might be the common values, a set of common values. Also, they are there to subtly nudge designers to, towards certain attitudes. So put simply, I mean, care is designing with care, so designing with empathy for other people, designing with empathy towards the environment and other species. And let's move beyond human-centred design. Let's move, you know, like the we, we really need to think about right through from the the genesis of an idea to the moment that product or is thrown in a bin or wherever and you need care right through that whole cycle community we felt just in that sense of and in particular just going through the 
with super hard lockdowns in Melbourne and stuff, just the idea that we needed to celebrate as a community. Um, and that designers, Melbourne's design industry is extremely sort of generous and collaborative. It's, it's sort of quite um, unique, I find, after travelling around a lot. It, it doesn't feel highly competitive. Like even, you, of course, you want to win the job, etc. But there is a sense of, of a bit of spirit and that's tied back to the educational environment and other things. But so community being that, but also understanding that design is about... Um, it's not just about you know a, a Western um, you know discipline. This is we've got sixty thousand years of indigenous, ongoing indigenous living systems, cultural practice, and design. You know, draw. How can we draw upon that for the future? Um, which we, as a country, need to learn to do far better. Um, and and then all these other communities that exist. You know, Australia is a highly multicultural society. The dominant design sort of view is very much a sort of coming out of a sort of western eurocentric kind of paradigm you know modernism etc that the trajectory that shapes the world and what can we do differently and climate which we sort of touched on is effectively um we clearly see that um if we the, the you know the evidence is climate change is the big meta framework that will shape every everything so um and and within that is energy materiality you know mining all these things which which all tie together to to create an an environment where climate change is either increasing or decreasing and um so i think that i, I would imagine that those three pillars for, are actually embedded under pretty much everything we do, but but we felt that they were kind of good to enunciate, um, and and then um, you know even if someone's got a commercial showroom and they're um, doing a product launch, they need to reflect on what, which one of those three things might they fit into. So maybe it's community, and maybe they're maybe maybe they're helping bring people together. But you know it's not it's not um, we're not beating people over the head with moral stuff it's more it's more about trying to i don't know it's it's yeah they're not they're not obtuse mm. no, like they're, they're not obtuse yeah. it's, it's i like not the millennium development goals model which is yeah it was the millennium development goals were the first time everybody in the united nations chamber agreed on one thing only ever time it's happened. So what are the set of values that you can come up with that no one can disagree with? Mm. Mm. And, you know, for me, community, of course, you know, all, all three pillars are, you know, exceptionally relevant. But for me, community stands out because I think in design, communities of practice are these unique ecologies unto themselves where that continued learning and research, um, the knowledge and the know-how that is generated post your training, post your education, um, it, uh, it happens, you know, within communities of practice. So um, Melbourne is unique because there is um, a capacity that is shared, there is knowledge and know-how that is shared, there is research that is generated here 
and um, and it's distributed through practice professionals and then it's passed on into the learning environments in our universities and so I think you know to practice design or to be a designer or be designed engaged it's not as if you know you do your training and then that's that's it um, you know it's a it's a lifelong um, engagement it's so much about understanding how to work and have conversations with people and um, and I think as Ewan mentioned you know the the community here in Melbourne I find particularly generous too and I think it's really important to recognise that, you know, Melbourne is still a city where we're sitting, what, about 5 million people. I think that's kind of a, a um, important because it still means that a city of, of, of this size, um, there's, there's relevant sort of touch points. You know, cities that get much larger than 5 million, usually um, perhaps you know, that connectivity starts to fray. So, um, you know, it's it's extraordinary how here people, if you haven't met somebody, you know of them, you know, or you've heard of them and it is not an imposition to reach out and to introduce yourself. There uh, is not that competitiveness that we've kind of experienced in other places that perhaps prevent that type of behaviour. Um, mm. So it's particularly love about that. I've certainly observed that as well. I mean, I'm from here originally, but I haven't lived here for the best part of 20 years. Mm. So I'm glad to hear that you agree with that. I thought it might have just, you know, me kind of coming home and, and wanting to see the best in a city, but it certainly does feel like a real community, which is lovely. Mm. Now, I feel like I could sit here and talk to you all day, but I know you're both very busy. So my final question is about Australian design. And I would love to have both of you define what you think that is, what it should be, <laughs> what oh, it could be. Oh, this is a big one. All right, <laughs> I, might, I might start because, I mean, it's a fantastic question and it's a question that Ewan and I asked ourselves and spoke greatly and deeply about when the department was formed only six years ago. Because we both recognise that, you know, design design um, occurs either side of industrialisation. So, you know, depending on who you speak to, they might see design as purely a sort of a, a pursuit, you know, um, that is of the late 19th century. Uh, you talk to other people, they will talk about designer making practices um, and talk about craft um, and also you know the the construction of well landscape and space so I think for you and I we, we, we it's just an absolute necessity to recognize that you know um, in here in Australia we have a history of of nearly 60,000 years or more of people designing and making things. So what is Australian design? We must recognise and look at how those enduring practices from First Nations people are um, uh, where they are 
and how they're contributing and we must engage. So I think um, when we think of Australian design, that is very much on the forefront of our mind. But also it's, it's, it's looking at how um, uh, design activity and production is playing out here and how that might be distinguishable from other parts of the world. So, you know, what, what is it that makes something that's authored and created here different? It might be responding to different environmental factors. It might be responding to different communities, different, um, uh, you know, lifestyle activities. And so you can, you can look for the, just say, Australianness through those values. Um, so I guess it's a long-winded answer, but it doesn't, it doesn't reside in a profile or a style. Mm. It resides in, in values. And that, I think, though, is what people find really hard to comprehend because if you said Italian design or Nordic design, people will immediately go to um, aesthetic values. And, and believe me, I love a good profile, <laughs> but it, we, we, we cannot afford to um, speak of identity and design through that conversation anymore because it just doesn't stick. Um, design is far more complex now. It's a matrix which connects with all parts of life, so we can't reduce it to mere appearance. So for me, it's 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 about trying to understand the values as well as the economics and the um, the materials and the the. the the forces through which, you know, make the design possible um, because I think the important thing to recognise too is that we can have design ideas and we can have design research and we can speculate but if we talk about design in our environment, it's been deployed, it's been scaled to be shared which means it's been delivered through a complex set of forces of which business and economics is one, but also a will for it to exist, relevancy, adoption, um, uh, you know, a whole a whole gamut of things. And so I think whenever somebody asks me, what is Australian design? I immediately go into this space where I go, oh my goodness, give me, give me the design and I'll study it and I'll, and I'll it's like trying to unwrap it mm. or unpack it to mm. understand and and the sad thing is just because something is designed here by an Australian designer it's not necessarily going to be a great piece of or, or Australian design mm. well that's that's because, the important thing that I know? I think now you you know what is Australia mm. so mm. Australia is um, you know an ancient land with an ancient culture which still endures very much which has been you know, so I think we need to be very careful about this idea. I mean, fundamentally, for me, it's quite clear that most design education in Australia, which has shaped design practice, is, well, pretty much all design education is, is a European framework. So, you know, and we have some f amazing um, 
architects and, and product designers and what have you. But the, 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 so the design landscape in Australia is, is predominantly white, is not necessarily, um, it does not necessarily represent gender balance, certainly not in the architecture industry. Um, um, and so also through that education, effectively what you're seeing is if you talk about, let's talk about aesthetics a little bit, because I think there is this sense of, of what is an Australian design and could you see it aesthetically? Well, no, because basically these most of these objects are typologies that are defined by uh, a, a European culture and then aesthetics. So there's a, there's a whole school of furniture production in Australia which is framed by Scandinavian furniture production because of the people that taught that in certain schools and very, very exceptional teachers, beautiful work. But you could you it should be seen as probably, you know, let's call it, you know, it's actually a Scandinavian sort of trajectory of practice. And there are people, quite famous Australian designers who've come through that school and then they kind of modulate that by thinking. So there is definitely a moment in time at the moment we think about the politics of um, Indigenous Australia. We think about the, you know, pretty confronting situations around like Black Lives Matter, but also we look at things like the Yunkin Gorge disaster with Rio Tinto blowing up sacred sites, etc. It's made, I think there's a sort of a sense for some thoughtful Australian designers about trying to engage more deeply with, with this condition through collaboration. Some people doing it, you know, in different models. But I would say that for me is some of the most interesting stuff that I see happening. Um, but then there is this sense of, well, uh, beyond the object. So an, an Australian design for me um, is, uh, is a designer who is trying to actively shape the future of our society and culture with awareness of these things. So awareness of where we are now in time and place. And um, so... It's it's for me it's probably a little bit more of an aspirational thing, you know. Like I th I don't I don't actually I think there's an opportunity. For example, a, a good you know case study would be the architecture commission we had here last year, which is called In Absence by Ioanni Scarce and Addition Office, and that was for me a moment of of a really Australian type of architecture because it was drawing on uh, on the systems of indigenous living, but but framing that within a work of architecture by, by a non-Indigenous team. And it felt very much like it was telling a story that needed to be told right now. Um, and, and it resonated globally and won a lot of awards. That's the type of potential of Australian design. And we see this more coming through architecture. The, I, I'd say it's more evident within architecture um, as architects become more and more committed to kind of de the process of decolonizing practice but also being aware of context more and more um it's not something you see strongly coming through product design and and these things will evolve we need more indigenous australians um, engaged with the design process if we want that to happen whether they just greater diversity full stop greater it's, diversity it's, yeah you know we we I mean, it pains me to say this, but no, we, we've had a fairly monoculture, you know, um, in design. And, um, you know, um, 
one of the the um, activities that we've been conducting here is to ensure that you know there's greater representation of female designers in the collection and people from diverse backgrounds and, and cultures and um, you know it's it's not an easy task because you um, you know that you know the designers have existed um, but the work hasn't been so visible and present and so it's hard to get your hands on um, you can only present it represent it if you can get your hands on it and that's really really hard um, but I also just thinking about Australian design, I think whether you talk about design through any national identity, there's been a tendency, I think, in the past, you know, celebrate it, you know, what it's what it's sort of virtuous features and, 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 and how do you celebrate it. I would sort of put the question that I think, um, you know, to truly engage with the space in which you live, you must have a critical relationship to that space have a critical dialogue with the nation that that you identify with um you know engage with the politics you know in uh engage with um you know social attitudes you it's not necessarily about revering but i think it's about being critically engaged because only when you are that way inclined i think can you produce work or deliver work that is going to um, you know do something or say something or deliver something different it's also a, um, I mean the way that Australianness is represented in so we talk about the beach house or you know like this and in a way that is you know if we're talking about what is Australia Australia is a climate it's a landscape it's a set of materials which are which are inherent to this place, so you know there there is a sort of at a tectonic level there is a sort of you that can be manifest in a in a work of architecture or an object where it's about a certain material palette and these things. So you know I mean of course works of seminal architects like Glenn Merkert or other people you know that that or the uh, the these key works they do create a sense of an Australian mm-hmm. vernacular which is very um, important and and to be respected because it's actually this is not a, it's not a, an aesthetic uh, pursuit it's it's formed by context um, there is also so much other diversity around design practice you know um, Melbourne's strong postmodernist sort of um, movement which defines this city um, and increasingly an attitude about, um, um, you know, sort of inclusion and stuff. So I think that that it's probably more of a flip side is when you look at different cultures and, and the designs that they're producing, you can sort of read behind them about how mature or sophisticated the conversations are that are going on in those societies. And um, I would argue that we're having a pretty mature, sophisticated conversation going on in certainly in architecture in Australia. Um, in the world of product design, there are there are definitely a group of designers who are doing really interesting and engaged work, which you would see similarly represented in other countries. But like as we are looking globally, we collect globally. Um, you can you can see where there are 
pockets of this now often they're associated with educational institutions or other so there's a there's definitely an amazing pocket of critical design practice in the Netherlands for example I'm probably more interested in where there is where you don't so where are you not seeing this stuff and and that's where we're interested in more inquiry so how will for example you know India as one of the largest democracies on earth huge population hugely innovative and entrepreneurial at what point will we start to see markers of that emerging in some kind of um a unique way in design because that's what you're sort of trying to find the uniqueness because there's so much homogeneity you know a product made i mean everything is practically made in one place like that's what we learnt this this last year. Everything's made in one place. Once the supply chains dis are disrupted, it doesn't work. Um, and there is so much aesthetic and material homogeneity because of the, you know, no offence to the design media, but it is actually because of the design media. Mm. I had this conversation re recently with someone where design is something that we've unfortunately. Um, fallen into a trap over many decades that we, we, we mediate design through images. Mm. So design is about looking at something. And that is so hardwired into the, into the whole way the industry works and the way that the media can communicate it and the way that the consumer consumes it that we've forgotten that that is not... That's just one way of thinking about it. But as long as you're looking at it, you are judging on what it looks like. And, and so then now we see this sort of universal style, which is just sort of everything, everything's made of bronze and a bit of marble and a bit of wood and there's a bit of this, you know, it's, everything looks the same. It so doesn't true. matter where it comes from. Um, and and um, someone originated that, you know, there are people who we know who originated those aesthetics. So they are the actual authors yeah. of that global aesthetic and you know who they are. Yeah. Um, but it's just become, I don't know. So. But yeah. I, I think, um, <laughs> you know... Uh, but, but I digress. <laughs> no, no, no. Gosh, I could, could talk about this for hours. But, um, you know, people that are listening, you know, if, if you're interested, a, a book, you know, I read when I was studying called Emotional Design by Donald Norman talks about design on a visceral, reflective and behavioural level. So, yes, um, aesthetics, although, you know... Aesthetics is not just about the way something looks, it's about how it touch, you know, what it, what it feels like, what it smells like, you know, um, it engages all of our senses. But, you know, this book is fantastic because it sort of unpacks how, why we're attracted to some things and not to others. But then at what point does, you know, the intellect kick in and you start to, um, you know, assess uh, you know, something that's been designed for how it's functioning or, 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 or um, you know, what it's doing for you. But through design media, you don't, you can't have that relationship or the only relationship you can have with the work is what it looks like and what it looks like in that space, in that setting, in that fantastic, on that fantastic table, on that glossy page. Mm. So we are not... I think broadly, um, uh, you know, uh, um, Australians, um, but this is a global issue, um, you know, communities have not or have not been, um, 
done, assisted in any great way in forming sort of sophisticated relationship with design or what it is. It's and like so a language that existed. So, you know, I'm clear in my mind that a language existed in all cultures for, it, for eons, an understanding of material, where it came from, an understanding of, of process of how things were made. So everybody sort of generally, you know, in any society, people would understand the collection of objects that facilita facilitated and enabled life. And one of the real, you know, I mean, this is slightly off topic, but is it worth maybe concluding on in a way, is this, so this language, which, which is not available through an image, if we think of what's happened over the last over the 20th century is design has become more and more and more about the streamlined aesthetic in a way and as devices you know emerge so beyond furniture and lighting and whatever um, and there was a sort of motivation within industrial design to bring this sort of formal efficiency um, and of course it's tied to intellectual property rights and or, you know everything's hidden within the device or within the within the object um, and as p things become more complex you know as in more more elements to com combine to make a thing so which is which is a has happened very much through 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 time you know it was one material or two materials together or three now it's hundreds the the hinterland of an object which i i describe as this vast hinterland of where everything is the supply chains that need to interact um to make any object possible, um, it is so complex and it is a language that people don't understand. So we're, we're very much, that's how we try and help people interpret objects in our collection is, is to sort of, I would love it if we were able to quickly look at something as a society, any individual could quickly look at something and say, I know I know what, you know, do we know what plastic is made of? Do we know what, a, what an alternative plastic is made? Do we know where metals come from? Do we know what glass is and where it's made? You know, there's all this stuff which is just not talked about. Let alone do we understand the decisions of why yeah. those materials were used. I mean, I think, you know, the counterfactual I find really interesting too because, you know, um, lots of people speak about design in particular ways today and it's very, it's very easy to be very critical of a lot of design but I think, um, you know, it's also really important to understand how and why decisions are made and, um, and uh, you know, and, and that is really hard to, as you and mentioned, it's, it's really hard to access and to... Um, to locate the facts but you know one thing I did also just want to mention you know when we talk going back to when we were talking about Australian design I think it's really worth noting that here in Melbourne uh, the two fields of design uh, that we lead globally in is medtech medical technology and all the design associated with the products the devices the services and systems and contemporary jewelry practice and I find it really interesting. You get these two. You couldn't get two different and reusable sort of areas. coffee cups and reusable co coffee cups. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. weird phenomena. It is. Yeah. So I think that's really worth mentioning because if you could identify a city with those two, three things, <laughs> not you go, bad "Wow." To be known for. <laughs>
Well, I think yeah. that's a really great place to sort of to I don't want to say stop, but maybe pause. Pause, yeah, and, totally. And, and leave yes. you know people with some time to reflect, and obviously from there launch off and enjoy all of Melbourne Design Week and all of the the further conversations that we know that will be happening during that time. So I want to thank you both so much for your time. It's been a great pleasure chatting. Um, and yeah, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank Complete you. Pleasure. Thank you.